God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. No, you're not getting a song today, so don't even type. Don't even try it. It's day 35. Your excuse is an engine. Be careful to do what it says. successful. We're in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, 1 through 19. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling. I answered, it is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Oh, I feel like shouting. This is the end of our reading for today. And the topic of our worship thought is your excuse is actually an engine. There I was sitting in the first chapel service of my seminary career. The speaker mounted the pulpit to congratulate the incoming class on being accepted. 
I looked around and noticed something. Nothing in this room looked like the church I grew up in. The pipe organ was like $3 million. No communion table or choir stand existed, but they did say something about a Eucharist. I, I thought that was a foreign kind of instrument. And there was some paper. There was a lot of paper. Everywhere I turned, there was so much paper for everything. There were papers to read the prayer, papers to sing the hymns, papers that told us when to stand and when to sit. And as a Pentecostal, I was only accustomed to a one-page program, if that with the words, program subject to change by the move of the Holy Ghost at the bottom. But here at Duke University, the atmosphere was stiff to say the least, cold even. It was clear, my friends, that I was not in Kansas anymore. The dean of the chapel began, forget about your GPA. God brought you here. Forget about where you ranked in the top 10% of your class. God brought you here. Forget about the recommendation letters and the interview process. None of that qualified you. The truth is God brought you here. The room froze. I wanted to run away. Surely I know what he meant by his words, but in that moment, a picture of my grandparents and our family-run storefront church popped into my mind. You see, my grandfather was an ex-drug dealer turned pastor. My grandmother dropped out of high school because she was pregnant with my mom and later returned to high school in her late 50s to complete what she started. Can we just be honest for a moment? If both of them, my grandparents, had applied to this seminary, they would not have been accepted. For all intents and purposes, they were unqualified. They didn't have the necessary credentials to even be considered, but here I was listening to a dean tell me that none of that mattered now because I was privileged to be inside the walls of acceptance. But what about those outside these walls? What about those who never made it in because their application was not taken seriously? Then I got to thinking, do our prerequisites for ministry readiness even match the way Jesus handpicked the 12 disciples? Have we diverted so far from the path that we refuse to see the truth that Jesus was more interested in heart readiness than head readiness? Are we aware that sprinkled throughout scripture are people who didn't make the cut yet God still called them to something great? Said shorter, do our methods work or are we guilty of being modern day Pharisees? Permit me to mount the soapbox for just a moment. My life's work has always been connected in some way, shape or form to the marginalized among us. Like a magnet, I'm drawn to modern Jeremiah's, to those who feel unworthy and incapable, to those who, like Peter in Acts 14, were, quote unquote, unschooled and ordinary men. Yes, they had been with God, but they didn't look the part. Yes, they had been with God, but their subject and verbs didn't always agree. Yes, they were anointed, but they didn't have the degree, the letters or the scholastic requirements to sit in the very seat I was sitting in that day. And as I listened to the dean's words, my burden for the marginalized metastasized calling grew up in me. It became a goal of mine from there on out to advocate for the unschooled and the ordinary men and women in our society. I am Aaron to Moses. I am Tertius to Paul. I am a writer for the wounded warrior called to elevate the stories, situations and sermons of people like Jeremiah. Notice the conversation between God and Jeremiah in the first chapter of this beautiful book. God says to Jeremiah, I have ordained you to be a prophet. Jeremiah responds, but 
ah, Lord, I, I don't know how to speak. His knee jerk response is hilarious. Jeremiah opens his mouth and says back to God in a verbal manner. I cannot speak. Let me say it in Spanish. Yo no puedo hablar. <laughs> In other words, he uses his speech to tell God what he cannot do. And those same lips that could have told God, yes, spoke back and told God, no. But there is a second truth hidden inside the fabric of this text that I do not want you to miss. Jeremiah responds, I can't speak. But get this, my friends. God never asked him to speak in the first place. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, and by definition, a prophet to the nations is not a preacher. Preachers speak. A prophet to the nations is not a politician. Politicians speak. A prophet is someone who hears from God and becomes God's mouthpiece. A prophet is a vessel used by God to foretell of things to come. When prophets do their job right, God speaks for himself. A prophet doesn't make up the script. She simply repeats what God has spoken. A prophet doesn't prepare a sermon. A prophet is the sermon. So the real thing Jeremiah needed was not to speak, but to hear. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If Jeremiah had spent more time understanding his job description and less time comparing himself to King Josiah, he would have seen that everything he needed was already in him. Glory. Maybe the lesson for worshipers is to trust God with every part of your calling. God knows what you need for the assignment God has given you. And sometimes we get so distracted by the man made qualifiers that we don't pause long enough to ask, is this what God said to me or is this what people assume I need to be? Maybe just maybe you've been praying about the wrong thing all this time. You've been telling God you can't write or that you don't have enough money or that you need a spouse to accomplish the end goal. But what if God is saying that's not what I called you to in the first place and all things be clear. So, Sean, how do I get clear? I must go back to what God said. I must return to the version of my calling pre edit the original blueprint and dissect that thing piece by piece. What if your excuses are not roadblocks, but revelation points being too old or too young, too trained or not trained enough, too vulnerable or too guarded. None of that is an excuse. All of that is an engine. Your insufficiency is the X that marks the spot where you stop and Christ begins. Like so many in the Bible, Jeremiah's life was a blueprint to teach us something about God. So to those who struggle with comparison traps and comparison issues, Jeremiah had the same struggle. He was a prophet who compared himself to Josiah, the king. And by the time Jeremiah is called, Josiah has been doing the king thing for 13 years. So Jeremiah felt like he had a lot of catching up to do. Why did God wait so late to make your calling clear? I get it. Trust me, I do. But comparing yourself to a king when you are actually a prophet will get you nowhere. It's apples versus oranges. So why compare yourself to the pastor in the neighborhood when you are a prophet to the nations? Why pray for a five bedroom home when God has called you to be a modern day missionary? God created you in a unique way with a diversity of gifts and comparison murders creativity. Idolatry ruins ingenuity. You are called to something dope. You've never been a cookie cutter anything. Don't let the God in you be reduced to a cheap clone of someone else. 
I got these words from Dr. Darius Daniels, and I pray you will never forget them. God only anoints the authentic you. So if you're showing up as someone else, your blessing can't find you. Don't discount yourself another day. Maybe, just maybe, your excuse is not an excuse, but an engine. So today for your worship work, I want you to make a list of every excuse you've given God on one side of the paper. And then on the other side, I want you to write down how you will turn that excuse into an engine. At the end of the day, what God is asking you to do more than anything else is trust me.
heavens open can you offer God another yes and we believe as you say yes that he's going to start responding with a yes tonight he's going to respond with an amen tonight he's going to respond with the it is so tonight beyond what we can think beyond what we can ask he's able to do he's able to go beyond he's able to go before come on let's lift it up church y'all know it this is what we say exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask all that lift it up church Sing it out. Abundantly, yes, Lord. Above all that, we ask God. 